0: Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church of Savannah, Georgia. You're listening to the series Bless the Lord, a study on the book of Psalms. For more information about CBC, please visit www.cbcofsavannah.org. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from God's Word. your strength. I'm not worthy to do this, but I pray that by your grace, uh, you work and you move and you speak. In the name of Christ, amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, good morning. Uh, As Bill said, my name is Matt Davis, and I'm starting to get the vibe that Bill only wanted me to preach because I'm the one guy this summer that's going to be shorter than he is. (laughs) So here I am. Now, I'm, uh, I'm from Savannah, Georgia, born and raised, and it's, it's really cool to see uh, God working in a church here in the city and transforming the city for the gospel, and, and I'm so grateful for Bill and the leaders uh, for allowing me the chance to come up and, and speak to you guys this morning. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series for the summer, Bless the Lord. It's a study through the Psalms, and it's really about cultivating a heart of worship for God, deepening our own hearts in, in, in the worship of, of our king. And uh, the psalm this morning, most of the ones we've heard this summer have been relatively happy, you know, uh, but as we know, life is not always happy. And so we're going to kind of talk about a psalm this morning that, at least for the beginning half of it, is not particularly happy. Uh, but by God's grace, it will show us uh, how to trust him deeper and how to uh, trust God in times of great difficulty. And uh, through that, our hearts will be cultivated for worship. Um, so we'll be in Psalm 22 this morning. Uh, if you have your Bible, just turn there. Uh, and while you're turning, have you ever been in a situation that it, it just caused you great distress, a very, very challenging situation, and you felt literally, utterly helpless to do anything about it? Uh, when my daughter, who's now two, was born Or when my wife got pregnant. The nine months leading into it, everything was fantastic. Every checkup was great. Every appointment went fine, heard the heartbeat. Everything was good. And when it's time for her to be born, we, we went on into the hospital about midnight, and we're in the triage unit for about 30 seconds. This nurse goes, I don't want to alarm you, but uh, your baby's heart is not doing well. It's It's you know, the at the tail end of the contractions, the heart is decelerating. And so of course, we had taken our, you know, birth classes and stuff and I didn't know much about it, but I knew it, it wasn't good. I knew it basically meant that at the tail end of these contractions, my child's heart is kind of puttering out and whatever that means. So the doctor came in and was like, you know, don't, you know, don't freak out. We're just gonna watch it for a little while and, and, and see what we have to do. And, So there's a stretch from about midnight to 7 a.m. where, you know, the worst thing that they can do and the best thing that they can do is teach you how to read the monitors. So the one monitor was, I'm watching this contraction happen, and then the monitor underneath, I'm watching this heart rate just drop, and it kind of levels out down here. And I'm just praying. I'm like, Lord, please let that heart rate go up. Let it go up. Please, God, let it go up. And it would. It kind of kicked back up and You know, for hours, you know, my wife finally had the epidural, so she was sleeping. But for hours, I'm just sitting there watching this monitor and like just praying, Lord, please, please don't let anything happen to this child. And that was really challenging for me. I mean, by God's grace, she's born, she's great, she's happy, she's constantly running around, and and I have to chase her everywhere. But it is such a gift but those seven hours were just, I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm a fixer. I like to fix things. And I'm standing there literally with my hands like this because I can't do anything. And it was really challenging, really stressful for me all night long. And this psalm is, is one of those situations. Whatever's going on, it's causing David deep, dark distress in his heart. And it's the way that he responds to that situation is really what we want to look at today. There are four ways in this, in this psalm that really teach us how to trust God in a, in a much deeper way, and then there's two real responses that are just the overflow of what happens to believers when they, they trust God in, in this deep way, uh, in really dark situations. So we'll be in Psalm 22, uh, if you want to follow along or you can uh, just listen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts, on you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their, wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breasts. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him but he but was heard when he cried to him from you comes my praise in the great congregation my vows i will perform before those who fear him the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied those who seek him shall praise the lord may your hearts live forever all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations that they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he... Has done it. <clears throat> so, this is a psalm of David, and we know that he had many dark nights. If you read through the Psalms, he, he had a lot of them. And, uh, but this particular psalm doesn't refer to any specific event in his life. We don't know exactly uh, which event this could or could not be talking about. And so, our job, again, is to just kind of make some key observations about the text, what's going on, and then how David responds to this. And we know that David was king. He was uh, a king over all of Israel, and he had family issues. So, you know, his sons could have been chasing him, trying to hunt him down, or, or enemies from, from other nations could be enclosing on him. We don't know what exactly is happening to cause him such great distress. But we also know about David is that he was a man after God's own heart. That's what the text says about him. And, and one of the things that makes him that way is his ability to trust God and his ability, you know, we trusting God when he's facing a giant or, or whatever the case may be. We know that, that this is part of his character. And so uh, that's, again, with this psalm in particular, is about trusting God in these deep, dark circumstances. Um, in verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night but I find no rest. So David, he jumps right in. It's kind of like the Kentucky Derby, right? Like the gun goes and it's boom, right out, out of the bat. It's not this like, you know, slowly approaching, Lord, sweet Lord, why, where, where are you, Lord? It's like, why, God, have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why, where are you? God, where, where are you when I really, really need you? You know, we, we it's something, again, and this text is causing him such Great, deep distress, and he's feeling abandoned by God. And if you've walked with the Lord for very long, like, you've, you've felt this. You've had some situation that has caused you to cry out to God, and you just feel like you're sitting there praying to a God who really doesn't care, or is, is not responding to you. And sometimes when you're walking with the Lord, it's really easy, like, I wouldn't say easy, but you're, you know, you're just in the, the, the word, and you're praying, and uh, like last week, even just, I was sitting right there, and we were, you know, singing some of the closing songs, and I just felt like a wave of grace come over me, and I just felt like his presence, you know, I started to kind of tear up a little bit, and my wife, like, you know, gave me the little hand squeeze, it's like, are you, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I mean, Jesus is good, what, what do you mean, am I okay? I'm great, yeah. So, so sometimes it, it, it seems to come easily, and then there's other times when we're like, you know, God, where are you in this situation? Where are you when I really, really need you? You know, that. I had a friend last week go to the doctor, and she had back pain, and the doctor's like, "Uh uh-oh, I I want to do a bone biopsy. We think it could be bone cancer. You know, or, or, you know, you go into work on a Friday, and they tell you, you're not actually going to have a job on Monday, and you have a wife and kids to support, and, you know, or you have a kid that, you know, they tell you, oh, this child has some debilitating disease or sickness. You know, these things that are unnatural. And it it doesn't have to be long. I mean, this night that we spent in the hospital with Olive, it was only about seven hours, really challenging seven hours. But in all things considered, it was a short amount of time. Whatever the case, sometimes it seems like everything's going wrong. And again, you're praying day and night to a God who just seems to not care, to not hear you, to not act. And... Let me also just say, if you never have experienced this, praise God, but it's, it's coming. And, and I don't say that to be dramatic. I don't say that to, like, scare you, but, you know, we live in a, a fallen and broken world, and that's and just the reality. Things are unnaturally violent. People die before they're supposed to. People get sicknesses that they're not supposed to get. That's not the way God intended it. But back to the text. This, this thing is happening to David and his circumstances are dire, and he feels like God doesn't care, but, but what does he say? <coughs> Verse three, he says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You see, even in David's great distress, the truth remains that God is holy. And this is the first reason that we can trust God in difficult circumstances is because God is holy. Yahweh, who he is crying out to, is holy. It's a Hebrew word, kadosh. It means commanding respect. It means set apart. And you see, when we think of holy, we're action-based, right? So we think, you know, if you're holy, it means, you know, be good. You're not doing anything wrong. You're just perfect in your actions. But that God's, that's not what God is. He is, holy is something that he is, not something that he does, right? So like every fiber of God is holy. Every thing that he is is holy. It's not something that he does, it's something that he is. His heart is holy, his mind is holy, he can only think holy, he can only feel holy. His, his mind and his heart and his decision making is not tainted or contaminated by sin and the brokenness of it. And this is good news because he's not swayed and, and by the whims and fancies of people, you know, he's not all about Short term deliverance necessarily. Not saying he never does it, but that's not his end goal. He doesn't make mistakes. He can't make decisions that are not holy. His heart only understands holy. He is set apart, he is transcendent in ways that we do not understand. And you see what's ultimately happening here is David, he's not having a crisis of faith, he's having a crisis of understanding. And that's the case with us so often. We just, we just don't understand. It seems like God is choosing to not intervene, and, and David and, and ourselves, we can't understand why. But, but David goes back to truth. He says, even though I don't understand, it doesn't make you not good because you are holy. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your understanding is better than my understanding, so I'm gonna trust you. And this is something that we need to do daily, remind ourselves of truth, because crises of understanding can quickly lead to crises of faith. When we, when we don't understand, we, we seek for understanding in some area, and it's not always truth. And, and you know, sometimes we, we, we don't understand things, and it's okay, you know, like sometimes we, like, oh, that situation seems really, it's yeah, a bummer, but you know, it's not the worst thing, right? But then there's other times when it's like you, you sh- you're sure of things and you're you're like yeah this is this is gonna happen you know maybe we apply to a college or or try to get into a class or 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 you know whatever the case may be you know your parents they just argue a lot and you're like God I I don't understand like I'm I'm dealing with it but I I just wish my parents wouldn't argue all the time and or maybe you're being bullied at school and you're you're like assuming, yeah, as you get older, like, this will pass, you know, but, man, I just really hate it right now. But we, we don't have to like not understanding what's going on. And, and we ask God, God, if you're good, why don't you do something about it? And the reality is, because he's holy, he is doing something about it. And he has done something about it, which we will get to. But for now, Maybe we should do what David does. Maybe we should just say to ourselves, you know, God, you are holy. And I know that you're seeking to make me more holy. And you're seeking things in this world. You're still deeply involved in this world and in the lives of your people. Our not understanding why God is allowing things to happen does not, does not change his character. It does not change who he is. And so sometimes truth has to trump that. Sometimes we just have to tell ourselves, God, you, you are holy. I have to trust you because you don't, you don't think things that aren't holy. You don't feel things that aren't holy. Look at verse four. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. So we know that we can trust God because he's holy, and and, and then we move on to this next piece of truth. David thinks back over the long history of Israel, the storied history of Israel, Noah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, these guys that trusted God, and God was faithful to deliver them. And, And that's the second reason that we can trust God is because this text tells us that God is faithful. And it's not just this text. I mean, you can go back and look over the entire Old Testament, story after story after story. Think of Noah. Noah, it had never rained, and God says, I'm going to flood the earth with rain, build a boat. And first, Noah's probably like, well, what's rain? Second, what's a boat? You know, and, and you know, they had legs, so they probably had some, but no, 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 this wasn't a fishing boat. This was a boat, because, you know, you have to hold every two kind of every animal and that whole bit, and it's like, I mean, it probably seemed Incredibly overwhelming, but Noah does it. He, he is obedient and he's faithful and God delivered him from the judgment. Think of Moses. Moses had to go to Pharaoh who was the most powerful man in the world at the time. I mean, really. And he says, listen, Pharaoh, old brother guy, you know all those slaves that you have out there building all of your structures and taking care of all of the work that you don't want you or your people to do? Yeah, they're coming with me, and if you don't let them go, I'm God's sending plagues on your people. And what does Pharaoh say? No way. Of course he says no way. Like why would he say yes? But Moses repeatedly, one time after another, after another, after another, after another, goes to Pharaoh, and finally Pharaoh says, Alright, go. And he takes the Israelites, and they're they're headed, they get to the, the Red Sea, and all of a sudden they turn around, and oh, there's Pharaoh's chariots just chasing after him, saying, no, I've made a horrible mistake, and I want my people back. And so God just does this little thing where he takes the water, and he just spreads the entire sea, you know, no big deal. And they walk through on dry land and crash in on Pharaoh's chariots. So that's deliverance number one. And then, as they're going through the desert, it rains food. Now this is a good morning too because it it rains. You know it's raining. It's water. It's 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 easy to understand the rain. But what if you're driving, and a big loaf of bread just plopped on your hood, and then loaves of bread started popping around everywhere? I would eat it. But (laughs) what I'm saying is that would be really strange. But this is how they ate for 40 years when they're in the desert. It just rained food. Water was just flowing out of rocks. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that God did. He was faithful to take care of his people, faithful to deliver them. Think of Abraham, right? Abraham, at 100 years old, had his son Isaac. And so then God says, okay, um, I need you to take him up on this mountain and kill him and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, I mean, amazingly enough, says, all right, God, let's do this thing. And so he's taken... Isaac up the mountain, and Isaac says, you know, Dad, where's, where's the animal for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. I mean, I love God. I mean, I, I love him to death, but if he was like, you know, hey, I need you to sacrifice your daughter or your wife or some, some loved one, I mean, you want to talk about a crisis of understanding. But Abraham, who is faithful, says, I believe that God will provide. I believe that God will deliver because he's faithful and he does, and then Joseph, last one, Joseph, who is you know left for dead by his brothers and then sold into slavery, and is you know just makes his way kind of out of it and, and he's kind of a big wig, and then you know the deal with Potiphar's wife, and he gets thrown into jail, and he comes out of jail and he's like second in command of all of egypt and you know' we're, so it's like this this guy who is basically in in prison and left for dead and all these things. He's now like the second most powerful guy in all of Egypt. And, he, and his brothers come to him and, and, you know, they don't recognize him. Then he tells them what's going on. And, and what does Joseph say to him eventually? He says, you know, everything that you meant for evil, God meant for good. Right? God is faithful to his people to deliver him. And we don't always understand when. We don't always understand how. But he is faithful to deliver him. And, and for us, We can do the same thing. This is just, you know, four examples. But you can take your Bible and just read straight through. I mean, just story after story after story of God being faithful to his people and to his cause and to deliver them. And also a really practical thing is if you're in here and you've known somebody that has walked with the Lord for a long time, man, go to them and say, listen, I'm going through this, this thing and I'm deeply distressed, like talk to me. Like, have you gone through something like this? Have you had a time when you just felt like God was not there? Because I guarantee you they're going to say, yes, I have. And then you ask them, like, well, what did you do? I mean, like, how long did it take? What what did you do? And and just just walk with them, and they'll tell you. Because the hardest thing sometimes is the unknown and the duration of the unknown, right? Like, so if I, could, if I could just find out how this is gonna end, then, then I think we could begin to deal with it. But sometimes there's just that nebulous unknown, and that's really hard for us. But, but just going to somebody who's walked through it and walking with them, it's, it's a beautiful thing because they will remind you of the truth, that God is holy and that God is faithful to deliver. Moving on, verse six. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. A little insight. This, if you think about this text, it's kind of like an hourglass. So first it's like, you know, God has abandoned me, and now, like, the, the people are making fun of me, and they're wagging their heads at me, which I guess is a bad thing, because it doesn't really sound that offensive to me, but... I guess back then it was really offensive. And, and so, you know, God has abandoned me, and, and now they're wagging their heads at me and mocking me, saying, God, you know, let God deliver him if he's so good to you, right? I mean, we still don't know what's going on with David. We don't know if he's being chased or what, or what the, the story is, but it, not only does it seem like God has is, is abandoned him, now people, the people have abandoned him. And, and it, it's like it's just getting, going from bad to worse, and and sometimes it's like that with us too, right? Like sometimes it feels like God is distant but people are close or, or people are distant but God is close. But this is saying, you know, this is, gives David the feeling like, you know, God is distant and people are distant. They're just, it's, this, is getting, this is getting really bad. Where is everybody? And again, David relies on truth. Verse nine, yet you are the one, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. I don't think this is making so much of a theological statement. You know, well, God, you did this, and you did this, and you did this, which I think is true. But what I think it's saying is, you know, God, you have been my God my entire life. You know, even from birth, you have done things and orchestrated things in a way that is causing me to trust you. You, Lord, are sovereign over my entire life. And even when I was young in nursing, you were there. I've been taught about you. I've seen you working in my life as long as I have been alive. And you are sovereign over all things. And this is the third reason that we can trust God is that God is sovereign and if you're, you know, this, this is like a theological hot word, you know, sovereign, God is sovereign, this, and this If you look up the word sovereign, it says a supreme ruler or possessing supreme ultimate power. And again, this, this term gets thrown around a lot, but sovereign is an adjective to use to describe God. I mean, he is ultimate in power, but he's also ultimate in knowledge. He's supreme over everything, all areas of being. There's nothing he doesn't know or doesn't have control over. There's nothing outside the realm of his control. Every cell in your body, he knows if it's working efficiently, inefficiently, every moment in time, throughout all of time, he knows about it. There's never been something that has happened that God did not know about. There, every ant that has gotten squashed, he knows about it there's been a lot of ants squashed, right? Like he knows about every single one of them. And, and this can kind of get us in trouble if we're not careful because you know, although he can stop every cell at any moment or stop hearts from beating if he so desired, nothing is outside of his control. He's not just sitting and controlling us like puppets, right? He's not, we're not like on marionette strings, we do have some aspect of free will and and God made us in his image. Is it let us make man in our image and let him rule? And that is something that we have and part of how we understand God and being made in his image is the ability to make choices and things of that nature. But being sovereign over all things means that nothing catches God off guard. Nothing happens in this world that didn't first go before the desk of God, and on some level he signed off on. Which can be troubling to us, but but the reality is, I mean, this is why in Romans 8.28 it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work for, together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Nothing catches God off guard. So if you're, you're struggling this morning that understand that it's, he is still deeply involved in what's going on with you. He is sovereign over all things. It's not like, you know, this event happening and he's like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Let me confer with the other two guys over here and, you know, him, Holy Spirit, and Jesus, and the, the whole, they're like chatting it out and trying to figure out what to do about your situation. No, he knows what's going on in your situation already. And let me also just say, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you know, maybe your friend invited you, maybe your family invited you, maybe you wandered in off the street, whatever the case may be, God being sovereign over all things means that you being here is not an accident. Right? Maybe, just maybe, the God of everything that is is tugging at your heart, is wooing your heart towards him, to trust him and to worship him. So sometimes I think Again, we, we just need to be like David and say, Lord, I know you've been here the whole time. You've been my God forever. You know what's happening. Your word says that you're with me. Please don't be far from me now. I trust you. I know you have power, Lord. I know you are, it's, your word says you're near because nothing gets by you, God. I trust you because you're, you're holy, because you're faithful, and because you're sovereign verse 12 Many bulls encompass me strong bulls of Bashan surround me they they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out, are out of joint my heart is like wax it is melted within my breast my strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws you lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me a company of evil doers encircle me They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. You, O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Again, David's situation—it's going from bad to worse. God has abandoned him; he feels, and the people are making fun of me. And now his enemies are are encircling and surrounding him, and squeezing in on him. and And he talks about them like wild animals. Which David was a shepherd. This is shepherd imagery. He knows all about this. When he, you know, he was out in the field tending sheep, he one of his jobs is to fight off wild animals. These wild animals would show up, and they would just mouth watering, ready to pounce and kill these sheep for dinner. And he's basically saying, this is what's happening. Like, my enemies are surrounding me, and they're looking to kill me. They are looking to pounce on me and kill me. This is, his enemies are looking to execute him. This, what's going on here is an execution. It really is. And, and David's scared. He's like, I'm staring at the mouth of an, an open mouth of a roaring lion, and I have no strength. My heart is melted. I am terrified. A few years ago, I was at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago, and they have this, A lion exhibit and you know you can see him from there but then you kind of walk around and there's like a plexiglass like this thick and there's a lion sitting right there and I was like whoa that is so cool and then he roared which was I don't know if they pay him to do that but he (laughs) roared I mean chills and there was like a foot of plexiglass but I thought man you want to talk about King of the Beast that was nuts and so I just kind of stepped away you know it's like I'll watch him from over here I know physically it's impossible for this thing to break this thing but I'm gonna walk away. And this is what David's saying. He's right there in the mouth of the lion. He just is terrified. He's done. He's, he's like, Lord, be not far from me. There is nothing I can do right now. I'm done. But then what does he say in the very next line? You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And the first time I read this, I, I, I kind of did an audible. What? You know, which save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. What what just happened? I mean, it's like the knife is coming down on David and he's rescued. And the psalm doesn't say what happened. It just says that he's rescued. And so there is a reality, right in between that exclamation mark and that why for you. There's a lot that happens that we need to talk about because something happened in there that, It's really, really important. No scripture, first off, David wasn't executed. So, no stories in scripture talk about David's imminent execution. You know, I'm sure enemies tried, his sons chased after him, wanted to kill him. Saul at some point wanted to kill him. Uh, But we have to figure out what to do with this first. And the only other reference, really, to the psalm that we have is when Jesus was on the cross and he cried, My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? And, and our initial thought is, oh, that was the moment in which God was abandoning his son. And yes, that is what's happening, but I, I think if we really dig, there's actually a lot more going on when, when Jesus says that. See, the Old Testament idea of salvation, they don't talk much about heaven. There's a few eschatological like, glimpses into the future, but for, for Old Testament figures, salvation, in a sense, meant what we're, we'll just kinda call the good life, I mean, right, like, my family's healthy, I have, you know, animals, and I, but the main thing was peace, right, and, and being able to be in the presence of God and worship God. This was so huge. Their idea of salvation was being able to be in, in communion with God, and, and, and they knew through the scriptures, this idea of future Messiah. And to them, this idea of future Messiah was, a, was somebody who was going to come and bring peace and make a way for them to be in communion with God. And so when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was making a statement. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And then, rabbinic tradition, if you wanted to reference a Bible verse or a psalm, you would say the first line. They didn't have the, the number systems or anything yet. So, so if he wanted to reference Psalm 23, he would say, my God, uh, my, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right, so they would just kinda say the first line and you, you just say it and then, oh, people would think, oh yeah, my the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he leaves me beside. So you just think of the whole Psalm. So when Christ went to the cross, he's saying, my God, my God, forsaken? why have you forsaken me? He's saying, Think about this entire psalm. Think about what's going on here. When, when Christ went to the cross and cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just talking to his Father, who at that moment is pouring out the just wrath and judgment for our sin onto Christ. Jesus is also saying, I am the rescue. I am the, the what happened in that little gap in that verse, that this is me that it's talking about. And, and so we ask, well, why would we correlate Psalm 22 with the crucifixion of Jesus, right? I mean, what, what makes us go there? Well, Psalm 22, seven says, all who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. But Matthew 27:39 says, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Again, with the wagging their head thing. Psalm 22:18 says, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Matthew 27, 43 says, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Psalm twenty-two eighteen 18 says, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Matthew 27, 35 says, and then, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Psalm twenty-two sixteen 16 says, they pierced my hands and feet. And we know that when they crucified Jesus, they nailed him through the hands and through the feet to the cross. You see, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, think about this psalm. This is what this psalm is talking about. I am who the psalm is talking about. This is the rescue. David wasn't the one who was executed. I am I'm the one who's being executed. David lived. I'm the one who's dying. This is the rescue. It is as though David is staring at the mouth of this lion who's about to pounce, and at the last second, Jesus just runs and pushes him out of the way and takes it, right? So this is what's happening. And, And it's the same for us today when we look at the crucifixion of Jesus. We ask, well, why? Why the rescue? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which may not be a huge deal, honestly, except that Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So what these texts are saying is that all people have sinned, and all people deserve justly death. But Christ, by living the perfect life and dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead, has defeated death and made a way for us to commune with him forever. He is the Messiah. 1 John 2, 2 says he is the propitiation for our sins or atoning sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the rescue is really, really important. When Christ went to the cross and his hands and feet were pierced, when he was spat upon and derided by those around him. When he was mocked and when he was executed. He didn't just die for our sins, he actually became sin. He was the spotless lamb, he was the only perfect sacrifice. And according to this, why did he do it? For you. For you. He did it so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, in Christ's death, not only are we pardoned of our sin, we are not just declared innocent, we are adopted into his family. And the honors that should be given to Christ are actually put on to us. In, in Christ, all the accolades and honors that should be given to Christ are given to us. When, when God sees us, he sees Christ. Going back to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The very next verse it says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. Second half of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what the rescue is all about. And, And listen, this is not something that we can do. We could never do this. David, who was one of the bravest men probably in history, if, you know, facing giants. I mean, literally, if a guy came in here was like nine-ish feet tall and was like, I'm going to eat you, basically, is what he would say. You know, what would we do? Ah! And then run away. But David has stared trials like this in the face and easily said, this is God's fight, not mine. I got this. But this, he says, I've got nothing. My heart is like wax, I'm done. This is not something that we could do. We could never do this. Only God could do this. David was as good as dead, no strength. He was terrified, but was rescued by the only one who could do it. And you see, we can trust God in times of great difficulty because God rescues. God rescues. He's ransomed our soul He has made a way for us to worship him forever. And the whole time that David thought that he was being abandoned, that he was being forsaken, God was orchestrating and working out his great plan of salvation. David was never forgotten, and the cross proves that. And you are not abandoned. You are not forgotten because the cross proves that. No one has suffered to the degree of Jesus, but it's because of that suffering that we can live. He's holy, he's faithful, he is sovereign, and he rescues. So how then do we respond? There's two ways that David responds, and this is where it gets real happy. Verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. David tells people about the rescue. That's just what he does. When, when people truly understand the rescue, their hearts are overwhelmed. They just have to tell people. When I got engaged to my wife, I mean, I did things I had never done before. Like I went home and like started trolling like my elementary school friends on Facebook and was like, oh hey bro, I haven't talked to you in 25 years, what's going on? Nothing, just got engaged, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> It's like it just makes you do things that you wouldn't do. You're just overwhelmed with like, happiness and gladness, and you just want to tell people. And that's what, David, this is what happens. He is rescued, and he's saying, I got to tell people. Verse 27 says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the, family, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Our response is to tell people. And, and according to the scripture, it spreads like wildfire. The, the net is cast wide. It says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. All the ends of the earth, all areas of the world will worship. I mean, that's how we got here, right? People told us, somebody before them told them and told them and told them. And you can just track it all the way back to the rescue. It spreads like wildfire. And, and it's deep, too. The net is cast deep. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. People, generations of people yet to be born will know of the rescue because we can't stop talking about it. To our friends, to our families, to our neighbors. Listen, I know sometimes that It can be scary to to talk to our friends and neighbors and family, but this is good news. This is the rescue. This isn't something that should be scary. This is something that we should want to proclaim. And that's what the gospel means, good news. And the other response is to worship, and I'm just gonna close with this. Verse 22, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise and the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And we're going to spend some time doing that. This series has been about developing a heart of worship and so we're going to worship by, by thinking about the gospel. Um, all scripture points to Jesus. And, and this last line says that he has done it. God has done it. Jesus has rescued us. So we're going to remember that and worship through communion. Um, our, our servers can go ahead and, and get, go back there. And, and this meal, this remembrance, is, it's for believers. So if you're not a believer here this morning, we're so glad that you're here. But this is something that we celebrate because we have trusted in Jesus salvation. And you can just take a pass and uh, just think on this. If you want to talk to a pastor or somebody about this, please do. Do that today. But if you're a follower of Jesus, take this and remember that he has done it. Right? And after that, we're going to sing some worship songs. And I'm pretty sure that Bill's goal in life is to get a noise ordinance from our neighbors because we sing too loud. And it would be really impressive if the 815 were the first one to get it. So we're just going to worship, remember God, and then we're going to worship him through song. We can trust God in all of our circumstances because he is holy, because he is faithful, because he is sovereign, and because God rescues. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for loving us enough to rescue us. And we thank you for Jesus and for this meal, this bread and this juice that symbolizes what he has done for us. And I pray that you stir up in us an affection for your son that is overwhelming, that we have to tell people, that we have to go to the ends of the earth and tell people, and that our heart will just desire and long to worship you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.